So today is cool because we get to continue this series that we started last week for better or worse. Deb kicked us off last week with the kind of talking to us all about um, the wife perspective as far as marriage for better or for worse. And today I have the privilege of getting to introduce to you uh, her husband, but of course he's something special to me because he's also my father. Would you please welcome to the stage today, John Graper, my dad. <laughs> Turn that on for me, okay? Yes, sir. Get that thing fired up. Because i got to have my notes here, you know. I can't, I can't operate without that. You just give me a second here. You guys just didn't see my code, did you? I don't want you to know my, my password. <laughs> so, thanks for the warm welcome. I am John, and um, you may be wondering about this whiteboard. Well, here's my deal. I'm not a pastor or a preacher. I'm a Sunday school teacher. And... <laughs> I like learning with visual aids, so I thought maybe I'd incorporate it in my message and maybe you all could learn better with that. Um, if you were here last week, as Cameron said, my wife Deb gave a great message about godly relationships and godly marriages from a wife's standpoint. And I hope to do a similar thing this week only from a guy's standpoint. I would say more specifically from my standpoint, I can't say that I speak for all men, that's for sure. Um, the trouble is, is that Deb did such a good job, she used up all of our good stories. All the good funny ones she used up. So I, I was hoping to have something really funny to open with, but uh, you know, the only stories I have left are kind of sad and pathetic, and I don't want to share those, you know, so. Um, but what I do have is I, I have a little bit of wisdom that I've gained over the years. Um, I've had the opportunity to listen to a lot of great pastors give messages on marriages and relationships, and. I've read some books and listened to a bunch of podcasts, so hopefully I have a little bit of wisdom that you all can take home with you today and maybe help whatever season you're in. So I have broken marriage into four seasons. Um, first is courtship, and we're going to call this the season of me. It's all about me, 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 me. I hope that she is the perfect woman for me. I hope he is the perfect man for me. You know, I hope she can cook good for me. Me, me, me. If you make it through courtship, the next season is newlyweds. And this, we're going to call the season of we. We are so in love. We hope to get a puppy someday, right? We can't wait to get our first apartment together. It's all about we. We're in love. And after that is the family season. And we're going to call this the season of us. This is a crazy time, right? Someone's always crying or bleeding, you know. Um, you're working off of no sleep at all. You're working overtime. It's just noisy and a crazy time. And then if you survive the, the us season, you get back to the empty nest season. And then we go back to a season of we. So, I was thinking about how to teach this so we understand how each season builds on the next season. So I think the best way to do it is kind of do it like one of those um, annoying artsy films. We're going to do it out of order. We're going to start at the end and work our way this way so we can see how one season affects the next season. So if this is where you're at in life, congratulations, you've made it. Right? The kids are grown, the house is probably paid for and you're back to we time. This should be a wonderful time. But 
this is the season where the enemy would just love to trip you up. And how he does it is with this horrible four-letter word, self. Now, if you did really good in the, in the, family, or the family season, you probably are selfless over here. But if you or your spouse or both of you have fallen into the trap of being selfish, well, your, your uh, marriage could be in real peril. Um, what the enemy loves to do is to make you think that you're more important than we are. This is the season where wives become golf widows or work widows. Men are sometimes thought of as just someone to cook for or more laundry, you know. Um, sometimes men feel like, well, they're not being appreciated at home, so they pour themselves into their job or into a hobby. And then women feel neglected, and so they pull back and become cold. And then the men sense that their wives aren't as loving, so they pour themselves into their jobs. See, it's just a big circular trap right there. So how do we avoid this horrible circular trap? Well, I'll tell you what I do. Um, whenever I hear of a failure, I just ask people what went wrong. Uh, I know that might be kind of forward, but a lot of times people are happy to share. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they'll say, well, it's a long story, and you know they don't want to share, but Whenever I have a customer come in or if I have a friend or something whose marriage has fallen apart, I ask them, what went wrong? And a lot of times they're happy to share, especially if they think it's the other person's fault. They just love to tell you, you know. Um, and I do this for a couple reasons. One, um, I don't want to make the same mistake uh, that they did, you know, so it helps me. And two, you never know when you might have a friend that might need some advice. You know, you ever wonder how you always think that you're doing the right thing, like you're spending the right amount of time at work, the right amount of time at home, um, even if you're not. But you can always see it in a friend's relationship, right? You know, you ever have that where you're like, man, you should spend more time at home. You're leaving her alone way too much. You know, you can see it, but you don't see it in, your, in yourself. So what can happen, what the devil will do here is he can change this we into another me. And, of course, this is toxic to the relationship. This is where things go bad, right? So I have got one piece of wisdom that I've gained that I can share with you on this. Um, I had a friend, and she was telling me that she got a divorce. So I just asked her, you know, like, what happened? And she told me that her and her husband had kind of grown apart, and uh, they just they weren't connecting like they used to. And... Uh, she said it seemed like all he wanted to do was sit on the couch and drink beer and watch sports, and she wanted to go do stuff. You know, the kids were out of the house. It should be a great wee time. So what she did is she went out and booked a Caribbean vacation, you know, a week in paradise. And she said it was just gorgeous. Palm trees, you know, warm tropical breeze, blue water, you know, white sandy beaches, you know, it was just heaven. And so she said on the second day that they were there, they got up and she said, you know, come on, let's go exploring. Let's, let's go walk down the beach. We can hold hands and tell stories like we used to. And he said, nope, I'm going to sit here and drink beer. And she said, right then I knew our marriage was over. And so when they got back, she filed for divorce. They got a divorce. And the, the really sad part is, is very shortly after that, he got sick and died. And so what ended up happening in his life is the we changed to me. 
and the me changed to die alone. Now, this is a tragic story, but we can learn from that. We don't want to end up here. So how, how can we avoid this? How can we not be selfish and be selfless in this? Well, if we want to be selfless in the empty nest season of our lives, we need to go back to the us season and see what it takes to get there in, you know, in a selfless stage. So for the season of us, it's all about love. And we see this in 1 Corinthians. Um, just give me a second here. In 1 Corinthians it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the, with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So this, husbands and wives, is your, your like directions from God on how to live your life. If you just keep that in mind, this is, this is the overarching thing. This, 1 Corinthians, with this love, this is the umbrella that all of us falls under right here. If we just keep that in mind, make a poster, put it in your bedroom, put it on your refrigerator, tattoo it on your arm, whatever it takes to keep 1 Corinthians. If you don't read the Bible, read 1 Corinthians on a regular basis if you want to know how to deal with your wife and your husband or whoever. So in the season of us, there's two subjects that I wanted to just have a, a, quick, a quick conversation about. Conflict and contentment. These are two big subjects in the us season. And I think I want to start with contentment because I actually think that's the more dangerous pitfall for us in, in marriages, being content. Guys, it's real easy to become discontented and this is a horrible thing, guys. We gotta, we gotta avoid this at all costs. It's real easy to think that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And the thing is, the grass may be greener on the other side of the fence. May have longer legs and prettier hair or a better shape, but there's something in the Bible that talks about this. In uh, Luke 16, 24 through 26, it says, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. I'm going to read that again. Remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. And Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Guys, when you jump over that fence, you create a great chasm between you and your old life. And just like in that Bible verse, you'll be able to see your old life. You'll be able to see your old house. You'll be able to see your ex-wife. 
you'll be able to see your kids and the new guy that's raising them. Discontentment is going to cost you way more than you want to pay. So some of the best advice I've heard about this is if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, water your lawn. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's a, that, that's a good one, isn't it? So how we can do this, We can decide to be in love. I know that sounds really simple, like duh, but it, it's true. Every day you wake up and decide to be in love because you can no longer trust your feelings. These feelings, like in the we when we're all in love and you wake up and you're madly in love, you know, a lot of those have washed away. You know, there's kids and there's mortgage and there's work and, and you just don't wake up madly in love with your spouse anymore. And plus, to be honest with you, you're waking up with a different person than you married, you know? I mean, that black satin teddy is now gray sweatpants, you know? And the six-pack is now back fat, you know? It's, it's a whole different person. So every day, you decide to be in love. And this works. I mean, I've done this. You, you wake up and you decide to be in love. And one of the ways that you can pr promote contentment and decide to be in love is to always put your spouse first in all things. And what this looks like is, well, if you've ever been around motorcycle racing, they have this saying, second place is first loser. That, there's no place for that in marriage. A good, healthy marriage, good, healthy relationship is a race to second place. Always try to put your spouse first in all things. Um, really promotes contentment. And I can give you some examples of this. Um, so you're laying in bed and the baby starts to cry. So now you're both pretending to be asleep, hoping the other person gets up, <laughs> as if anybody's gonna sleep through a baby crying, right? So guys, just step up and take care of the baby, right? I mean, she's just as tired as you are, and she's got to spend all day tomorrow taking care of the baby. Plus, you could probably sneak out and take a cat nap in your car over lunch hour, right? Step up and take care of the baby. Or have any of you ever done this thing? You go to throw something away and the garbage is full, so you cram it down so there's just a little bit of space so the next person has to do the garbage. Just step up and do the garbage, you know? Or here's one of my favorites. You're carrying a big basket of laundry up the stairs and something falls out but you pretend not like you didn't see it, so you don't have to stop and pick it up, you know? Yeah, I'm, I've been good with that one. Healthy relationship is a race to second place. And girls, this applies for you too. Now, I would say that somewhere in the world, sometime in history, there's been a circumstance where a woman has gone to bed and she's noticed that her husband has taken an extra amount of time primping in the bathroom and she can probably smell the aftershave wafting down the hall ahead of him. So she rolls over and pretends to be asleep. Now, I'm not saying anybody in this room would ever do that, but that's not a race to second place. Put your spouse first, and you'll have contentment. Now, let's talk about conflict. Now, here, Deb and I have no experience in conflict, so <laughs> everything, everything I'm going to talk about is strictly book learning here, you know, so... So let me see, by a, by a show of hands, who here has ever been wrong at some point in their life? 
All right, good. We have honesty. I, I appreciate that in church. Who here has been occasionally wrong? Anybody? Who here is habitually wrong? <laughs> All right. So one of the big things in conflict Assume you might be wrong. This is the best way to resolve an issue. Assume you might, or at least assume that you might be partially wrong. Because if you do that, that means your spouse is probably partially right. And it's way easier to see their standpoint, their viewpoint, or what, what's going on here if you can assume you might be wrong. You don't want to go in it being a pighead thinking, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. That's not going to resolve the issue. And this is the other big one, too. I won't do that. Always argue to resolve. Never argue to win. You know what happens when you win an argument? You end up with one winner and two losers every time. Like, so let's say that you're a great debater. You're a really forceful arguer, man. You can just slam it. What did you win? You win a couple nights on the couch? Did you win a week of cold shoulders? I mean, who really won here, you know? Whenever you win an argument, you have one winner and two losers. If you argue to resolve, now, now, now you're, you're working forward to a, a relationship, you know? People that win at marriage... Resolve issues, not win arguments. Um, I just wanted to tell you a, a quick empty nest story about this. Um, when Deb and I were in the us season of our lives, it seemed like everything we did was about the kids. Kids, it's just kids. I don't know if we were trying to be super parents or what, but you know, the movies we seen were, were kids related, you know, vacations we took because of the kids, you know, TV. It just, everything was around family and us, you know. And I got to tell you that um, when the season of us was winding down, I was just a little bit terrified of what was going to come next because I didn't know if there was any we left because I hadn't seen we since way back over here. And so I was kind of scared, you know, because it, it was just always us. So finally, the season of us came to an end. The kids moved out. And I remember Deb and I sat down to watch TV alone one night, and I said, you know, what would you like to watch? And she smiled and said, anything we want. And as it turns out, there wasn't us left, you know. This stuff works. Apparently, we had avoided the pitfalls of conflict, and we had embraced the positive aspects of contentment. Because, you know, she'll co-sign this, that I am no prize of a husband. But this stuff works because we are still together. Now, we've got this rock-solid season of us, right? We've got two people that are following 1 Corinthians. They're in love. They're avoiding conflict. So how did we get here? Well, for that, we have to go back to the season of we. Now, this is the season of love, right? We're so in love. We never argue, you know. We're, we're just, we're just going to be happy forever. We're probably never going to have kids because we're just so perfect as we are. Everything is just great, right? So what happens 
when someone wakes up and realizes that all that's a load of hooey, right? And, and, and fit's going to hit the shan. Well, fortunately, the Bible gives us the building blocks for a solid we. And that is in Ephesians 5. In, uh, in Ephesians 5, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. I'm sure somewhere there's a feminist that just got triggered when I read that. But um, So listen. I know that it might sound scary to, uh, to submit, but um, listen, the first, the first part of that was submit to each other. Besides, we all submit every day, right? We submit to state and local authorities. We submit to federal authorities. I teach in Acts Kids. I submit to Brandy because she's the director over Acts Kids. Brandy and I submit to Pastor Deb because she's the, over us. And all three of us submit to Cameron because he's over the whole church. You see, it's just logical and makes sense to submit to someone with wisdom that's been placed over you by God. So we have the building blocks for a happy we. And what we see is if we want a rock-solid we in this newlywed season, we need to surround ourselves with God. And in the same token... Because we is the foundation of us, if we want us to work, we have to follow God's plan for us. I've got one, uh, one quick little story in the newlywed uh, season right here. Once upon a time, I got to go to a Christian bachelor party. Now, if you're not familiar with what that is, that's a group of guys having lunch together. So... <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, yeah the, the only skin we saw was the waitress's arms because she was wearing short sleeves, right? <laughs> so we were all sitting around having lunch, and Cameron asked all of us married guys to say one piece of wisdom that we had gained in our marriage to this young man who was going to be married. And my friend Ryan, who's in the tech booth back there, he just had the most profound thing to say. i never forget it. He said, when she asked you to do the garbage, do it right then. Oh, man, that is just gold, isn't it? Like, if everybody could just take that as the one, the one thing, I, I just love that. Just do it right then. All right, so we've got this, this rock-solid we now, right? We've got two people that are in love, and they're following Ephesians 5, right? Um, he's loving her as Christ loved the church. You know, it says here, men should love their wives as Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church. So this is, women are supposed to submit their wives, but guys are supposed to love their wives so much that they're willing to die for them. So we've got this husband and wife here, they're rock solid, right? So we got to see how did we get to the season of we and be there? Well, for that, obviously we go back to the season of me. Um, now so far today, for the most part, I've been throwing rocks at guys because I feel us guys do a lot of stupid things that wreak havoc in relationships. But 
when we get over to the season of me, I kind of feel the burden shifts to the girls. Because, well, we all know what boys are, right? I mean, young men, I mean, God gives them a 55-gallon drum of hormones and a teaspoon of brains, right? <laughs> and unfortunately, girls, it falls on you to sort out the good ones from the bad ones. So the Bible has some really good advice on sorting. And girls, you're going to hate this. You're going to hate that I'm going to write this down because you've probably heard it so many times. But the number one thing... is to be equally yoked, which, of course, means spiritually on the same page. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've heard, well, he's not a Christian, but he's a really good person. <clears throat> Fail. How many relationships, how many marriages I've seen go down in flames because girls didn't pay attention to the wisdom that the Bible says. You know, it, it's, it's just so basic. Equally yoked, if you're not familiar, is an old agrarian term. It just means like hooking oxen up to an implement, right? You can't have a great big giant oxen on one side and a little bitty scrawny one on this side. It's not going to pull straight, right? In, in my mind, I like to think of it more like a twin-engine airplane. If you had an engine in each wing, if you have a 1,000-horsepower engine over here and a 500-horsepower engine over here, it, it's always going to want to turn. It's, it's not going to fly straight, right? The, the plane isn't going to go in the direction you want it to go. Same with your relationship. If you're unequally yoked, girls, your relationship isn't going to go in the direction you want it to go. The second piece of advice that I could give you just out of experience is find someone who is going somewhere. Don't hitch your wagon to a stagnant pile of clay, okay? Find someone's going for it. Is he going somewhere spiritually? Does he have a relationship with God? Does he read the Bible? You know, is he, is he in a small group? Does he plan on leading a small group? You know, find someone who's going somewhere. Is he going somewhere in his career? Like, is he, is he going to go to college or a trade school? You know, or in his job? Um, is he content with being a barista the rest of his life? <clears throat> Fail, move on, you know? I mean, is he, is he going somewhere? Where, where is he going to be in five years? Where is he going to be in, in ten years, you know? Ideally, you want to find a guy who's got a brain, is going to have a good job, and provide well for you. But if you're not into brainiacs or nerds, you know, and you're going to marry a blue-collar worker, that's fine. But find somebody who's going to work hard for you. Find somebody, get you somebody, when he comes home at the end of the day, you can smell him before he opens the door of the pickup truck. Because that smell is the smell of love and devotion. You know, and, and what's his personal life like? I mean, um, what's his friends like? Does he have healthy relationships? Do they all just sit around in the basement? Drink beer and play video games, <clears throat> move on, find somebody else, right? There's, there's like, and, and girls, let me just say this. If you ever get this phone call, like, hey, baby, me and my friends are hanging out playing video games. Later on, why don't you come over and we'll hook up? Oh, hell no. I am a daughter of the Most High God, and I deserve your respect and honor. I'm not interested in hanging out. I'm not interested in holding on, and I'm not interested in hooking up. You get rid of your loser friends. And right. 
you get rid of your loser friends, put on some nice jeans and come get me and take me to a decent restaurant, and we'll talk about our future. And if that doesn't work for you, step off. That's right. Girls, never underestimate, never undervalue yourselves. You're precious. And guys, um, same thing kind of applies for you. You know, uh, just because she's cute doesn't mean she's the right one. You know, not, not at all. Um, Andy Stanley had a great quote that I heard one time. He said, guys, stop trying to find the perfect woman for you. Instead, try being the man that the perfect woman for you is looking for. So <clears throat> if you're in this stage, if you're in the me stage and you're thinking about being engaged, if you're getting to that point, have you talked about Ephesians 5? Girls, does this terrify you? Does this scare you? Because if he's truly the man of your dreams, you should have no problem with uh, submitting to him. And if not, if that's a big scary part, well then either he's the wrong one or maybe you need to court longer until he becomes the right one. And guys, you know what this means for you? This means you step out of a movie theater at night with her and you're walking through the parking lot and some dope smoker jumps up with a gun. Do you step up and take two to the chest to protect her? Because that's what that's saying. And if that isn't where you're at, maybe she's not the right one. Or maybe you need to court longer, or maybe you're in it for the wrong reasons. You see, sometimes I think boys think when it comes to marriage, I think they think they're signing up for warm meals and sex. But you're not. You're signing up for a ton of work. Marriage is a lifetime of work. You're going to work for the rest of your life to support her and her family. And there is going to be sick kids. There's going to be trips to the emergency room. There is going to be endless arguments over stupid stuff, like what color the carpet's going to be or whose family you're going to spend Christmas with. It's going to be in sickness and in health. It's going to be for richer, for poor, and it's going to be till death do you part with warm meals and sex. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, if you're in the ready to be engaged stage of your life, think about what the wisdom that the Bible says about being equally yoked and Ephesians 5. If you keep this in mind, you will find the most amazing person this, this wonderful person that you'll spend the rest of your life with being madly in love, you'll find the person that you will spend the best times of your life with. Let's talk to God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak here today. God, I pray that some of the wisdom that you've given me will help some people in their relationships. I pray if anyone's having trouble in their relationships that they listen to wisdom and they can move forward and heal those relationships. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Good job. Thank you. Good, good I appreciate job. that. Very good.